see his glory rising. You know, that's what it's all about. But it's not somewhere out there. It's in here. His glory rising in us. And I love that song. I just love that song because it's so his kingdom. And I've recently just been pondering the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, we pray it. And I don't think I really understood. And, you know, I'm sure there's more. But, you know, when it says, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? Is that out there? Like, let more people be saved? I used to think it was. But let your kingdom come. Let your rulership, let your dominion be established in me first. That's how I come to our Father. That's how Jesus taught us to come to our Father. Let your kingdom be established in me. The way things are done, the way your will is obeyed in heaven, let that be established in me. Let that be established in my life and in my sphere. It's very cool. Tonight, um, I'm going to share something that's <laughs> it's been really funny because um, I haven't been able to pen anything as in like a ordered thing until yesterday. Like I've been screeds and screeds and screeds because God keeps on coming and showing me more and more and more stuff about this. And it's, it's all about kingdom metamorphosis. Now, we probably think we know what metamorphosis is, and we'll be looking at it. But um, one of the cool things, um, there he is, changed from glory to glory. Hmm, shining brighter and brighter as the world gets darker, eh? But one of the cool things that I didn't realize is that metamorphosis, the word, is in the word. Oh, man. Well, there was like a, there was a bit of a bonus to start off with. So what is, what is it? We keep on hearing the word transformation and all this stuff, but what is it? Is this just a good idea or actually is it, it what? God is talking about in his word. So the word metamorpho, I think there's a special way to pronounce that, metamorpho, means to transform literally or figuratively to metamorphose, which is the verb of metamorphosis, which is the noun. It's a profound change from one form to another. And um, good old vines describes it to undergo a complete change which, under the power of God, will find expression in character and conduct. The word morph lays stress on the inward change. And the present continuous tense is talking about a process. It's pretty clear. And there's some key scriptures. It occurs metamorpho and the um, other v- verb of it um, occur five or six times. And we're going to have a look at those because they're key scriptures in this time that we're in. Um, Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's your word. Be metamorphosed. <laughs> by the entire renewal of your mind so that you may prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This refers not to the external and transient, but to the inward and real. And then Galatians 4.19, it says, My little children, for who I am again suffering birth pangs until Christ is completely and permanently formed within you. Completely and permanently interesting. So, why is it necessary? We're going to look at these six questions. I've just asked the first, answered the first one. 
What is it? Why is it necessary? So we look at Second Corinthians 3.18, and this is one of these key scriptures. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured. There's that word again, metamorphose. Constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord the Spirit. So why is it necessary? Number one, because God wants us to be transformed into the same image as Christ. So we kind of have to settle this. That this is his will and purpose. It says in Romans 12, 2, that thing about do not be conformed to this world by be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, I used to read that and I used to think, well, the more I'm transformed because I'm renewing my mind in his word, I will know the plans that God's got for me. I used to read that like that. That's, that was the key to knowing my destiny, knowing the job he had for me to do. But it's not. Because remember in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's God's will. That's the God's will here. So we come into this progressive Continual revelation as we're transformed, it goes from good and acceptable to perfect as we come closer and closer and understand what his will is. In, in the macro, what is his will in the macro? You know, just as Clay, I just love the way Clay brought that this morning, you know, our little will is this piddly little thing compared to his. So heaven is centered. Everything in heaven is centered on and around him, is it not? His thoughts, his desires, his words, his commands. Everything about heaven is about him. It's about the glory of, of Father God, the, the fellowship with with Jesus and, and doing the things that he's doing up there. And so I realized that the second reason why this is necessary is that it brings us to know him. So transformation actually leads us to know him. So isn't it amazing? There's, there's this double thing. As we see him as he is, we become more like him. And as we are transformed, we know him and his will more and more. The two things always are connected. Intimacy and transformation. Always connected. Always, always. So this is, we see that it's why it's God's design for us to be formed and become into that, that image that he is and to know him as intimately as Jesus does imagine that we would know him just like Jesus does he's got this amazing plan in the future and we're going to be partnering with Jesus so we're going to need to be like Jesus and we're going to need to be intimate with the father just like Jesus is so what does metamorphosis look like? Well, one thing it's not, it's not that last year and this year and in 20 years' time, we are the same, we do the same, we think the same, we stumble on the same problems, we are bound and constrained 
year after year after year. That's not what metamorphosis is. So it's all good news because I don't want to be what I was. And, you know, Cindy brought that word that we are not what we were and, and that we're not what we're going to become, something along those lines. <laughs> so it's that she spoke this word very clearly. That's why this has been our journey. It's been a confirmation that, that this is exactly what God is doing right now. I want to have a look at um, just quickly the first two times that, that this word metamorpho comes. It's in Matthew 17.2 and Mark 9.2. I'm going to talk a bit about it later, but I just want to show you that Jesus, when he was transfigured, it's the same word. So it says, um, you know, he took a few of the disciples up the mountain and his appearance underwent a change in their presence. His face shone clear and bright like the sun and his clothing became as white as white. In Mark, it says he was transfigured before them, became resplendent with divine brightness. See my reference to the song, See His Glory Rising? So it's a process. And at this point, I want to turn to our friend the caterpillar. Because there's a lot of things we can learn from this. And I want to just play this video. And then we're going to talk about some of the stages of the process. Let's have a listen to that. Open the work of a lepidopter, someone who studies butterflies. Somewhere in that writing, you're going to find the language of astonishment. Every one of these 20,000 species have different color patterns, and every one of them has different shaped wings. The diversity is just so magnificent. As you watch a butterfly, to describe what you're looking at, you can't really put it into words. That's biology, it's also magic. It's impossible to look at a caterpillar turning into a butterfly and not ask how. Their metamorphosis, their life cycle, how did this happen? This astonishing, remarkable transformation. In a metamorphic insect, what you've got is two body plans. You have to first form one functional body plan, and then you have to switch gears and you have to take and form a new body plan. I am amazed by development when it goes from egg to caterpillar because it's such an intricate process. But then you have to enter into the chrysalis stage and you have to get it right again. So it's like the problem squared. You've got to get rid of or digest the caterpillar tissues. They won't work for the adult. In fact, the cells themselves disappear, but then their components are recycled and are turned into a kind of soup 
out of which the adult structures will be built. It's very carefully engineered, so you gotta know where you're gonna end up before you start. It's like a different organism. Transitions have to take place in the heart. Transitions have to take place in the antennae. Transitions have to take place in the reproductive organs. You have to recreate adult legs, adult antennae, adult eyes. You have to change the shape of the brain and the connections between the antennae and the eyes. You have to reformat the gut so that it switches from eating plant material to eating nectar. You begin to see the depths of the problem. So for evolution to have created this sort of pathway gradually, it would take a miracle. When you see certain effects in nature, it's your responsibility as an investigator to find the cause that will explain the effect. If you saw a mechanical device of the sophistication of a butterfly, you would not for a moment hesitate to ascribe that to intelligence because the butterfly is so much more sophisticated, almost beyond our comprehension, than anything that we make. Planning, foresight, artistry, engineering. When you process all the evidence revealed through metamorphosis, and then you ask yourself, in your own experience, what kind of cause could bring about these results? I think the only reasonable answer is an intelligence that transcends the natural world. Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> I was just so wrecked when I saw that. And I've been on there, on the internet, looking at lots and lots, but that just sort of summed it up really, really well. So what happens during metamorphosis? So we would have seen a little bit there, but I, as I delved into this, it was just like more and more, it was like, whoa, penny dropping. And before I go into this, I just want to say that I had a real sense during the worship that there are some of you that are going to be enabled to engage where you haven't been able to engage before. There's going to be release for you in something that you hear tonight about what happens. And I want you to have your hearts open because I sense that there are some people that are very hungry and they're incredibly frustrated and they don't know what's coming next. Let's have a look. I'm looking at molting first. We've got the egg being hatched, uh, um, the caterpillar coming out of the egg. And the caterpillar, its only desire in life is to eat. It is an amazing eating machine. Okay, that is the, its full entire purpose in the world. And as it eats, of course, it grows. But it doesn't have a stretchy skin. So they have to shed or molt their skin. And I'm looking specifically at the, the um, monarch butterfly initially. It was what we saw there. And the monarch molts five times. And every new little caterpillar is called an instar. And this is so similar to our experience with the Lord. Because we get to a point sometimes that what God is doing in you is bigger that can, than currently can be contained in your current frame of reference or understanding and experience. For me, an example of this, I, I shared at the fight camp when I was very um, new as a Christian, new as a um, married wife. Um, God really taught me about my words because I habitually put myself down 
And my reasoning behind it was that if I got in first, then probably no one else would get in. So I could cope with hearing myself put myself down, but if other people criticized me, I couldn't cope with that. So I'd get in first and I'd put myself down. (laughs) And I was convinced that all I was doing was speaking reality. And it wasn't until I'd been married for a while and my dear husband, who had never come across this before, was shocked and horrified because he knew that it was so not the way that God designed us and it was doing bad things to me. And God convicted me very, very deeply about how I was hurting him. And one thing I did know is that I loved him with everything. And he took me through this process where he showed me that what I was speaking was actually literally putting a a noose around my neck. And he he said, "You, you need to change that. But it was a habit, and he said, okay, if you fall, what you do is if, if you go into that old habit again, you then speak three things that I say about you. So that was the, re- the renewing process for me. That was the skin I had to shed to grow to the next stage. And it was a massive step. And had I not done that, I would have been constantly speaking death because life and death is in the power of the tongue. So that was an example for me. I really sense that there are some people here that want to go further into God. And what's holding you back is fear of people, particularly. It might be your friends. It might be during a worship time. It might be that you feel that there's more. I want to do, but I'm I'm scared. What are people going to think? It might be a spouse. What happens if I go after God and my spouse isn't really into that? What's going to happen to our marriage? It might be the fear of the unknown. But can I encourage you to shed the skin? Because he is there to say, don't fear. He's there to fill you with the love and the capacity. He wants to say to you, step out and run into me. You know, another thing that is fascinating about these little instars is that there is a particular hormone in them called the JH the juvenile hormone. The juvenile hormone prevents the development of adult characteristics. Isn't it interesting? And as you go through the process, number one in star, heaps of juvenile hormone. And then as you go further on, by the time it's you know, getting towards pupa stage, number five, there's not so much. Once it emerges as a butterfly, no JH. No juvenile hormone. And, you know, in Romans eight nineteen, it says all of creation waits for God's own huios sons to be made known. Huios is the mature sons of God. God is really, really interested in us growing up. And that's what transformation is, is growing up simply. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Now I have become a man. I am done with childish things. I've put them aside. Shed the skin. Shed the skin. You know, the key in this is two things. They were eating and they were shedding. It's hunger and it's obedience. We cannot help but grow if we are chewing on his word as our daily diet.
but we also need to shed what is against his word as Holy Spirit reveals it to us. So it's two, both end. The other process that happens, and now we're onto the pupa stage. I love the way they said death is the pathway to life. What's going on inside that pupa has been a mystery for years. And one of the scientists who was involved in that movie evidently took um, MRI images day after day after day and saw what was happening because there's this dissolving that happens of the old caterpillar and there's this reforming. And these are some things that he said. Many observations have indicated that programmed cell death plays a considerable role through the physiological processes of morphosis. Most larval cells die. Pupil and adult cells form from what's called imaginal cells. I've probably not pronounced it right. Which are undifferentiated. And like stem shells, they can become any type of cell. In other words, lots of different cells, but they're not already, you know, I'm going to be a leg and I'm going to be a wing. Okay? So this Dr. Richard Stringer used the MRI to scan the changes over the 10 days in the chrysalis. And he says the most obvious changes were wing development. Incredibly, the butterfly, butterfly brain could be seen in the first day the digestive tract changed from being an intestine-like organ in the early chrysalis to reproductive organs in the mature chrysalis. You see one form to another? So the, the process of transformation is, is the death of us and the resurrection life of Christ. I love the fact that the adult is actually called the imago, which is Latin for image. Isn't that cool? Both the caterpillar and the believer metamorphose to an image. I thought that was cool. Anyway, another process that's in this, and hopefully you would remember this little part of the clip. Because when the caterpillar is about to become a pupa. They've got to attach somewhere, right? So they have to find a safe twig. Okay, they hang upside down, and they spin a silk button, and they hang on with their two back legs, okay, and they go into this Y-shaped thing. And then there's this amazing thing. As they're shedding that last skin... They've got this thing at the tip of the pupil abdomen, which is called a cremaster. And that's what these pictures are about. On the left there, there's this kind of pokey out thing, and it's got lots of barbs on it. And it's very much like Velcro, because he uses those barbs to entangle into the silky um, pad that he produced before. And so there's a point at which he's hanging on with both his legs and this cremaster's doing this thing. Did you see? I just loved it. That, that pupa, and he was twisting and he was going like this. Did you see that? And the pole thing is, is getting more and more set and anchored into. And something's happening with the, the skin as well. So this is a totally a matter of life and death. This is an incredibly vulnerable stage. If it doesn't anchor and it falls off, it probably will die because there's no protection. So the thing is that during this time of dissolving, we can feel very much disoriented. 
And Cindy talked about this last weekend. She talked about orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And I feel that there is part of this process where we're likely to feel rather disoriented. And it's because what were our points of reference, what were our landmarks, what were our ways of thinking are being challenged and it's like they're all being taken away and we feel very lost in that time. So, you know, the biggest key in this time is the anchor. If, if the anchor's not there, then none of this process can take place. And the anchor for us is into him. It's, it's him himself, isn't it? Hope is the anchor that goes beyond the veil and it holds us. And so if you're feeling like that, if you're feeling very disoriented, put your anchor into him. And you know, the twisting, the turning, the entwining, for us, I believe, as a community, it is a time for us all to come into what Isaiah 40 verse 31 is talking about, waiting upon the Lord. That wait upon the Lord is not sit here and just wait for him to do his thing. Waiting upon the Lord is entwining ourselves with him. And each one of us needs that safe anchor. This is the very thing I talked about last time in Psalm 46. There's a safe place, and the safe place is in him in this whole process. There's a second reason why he does this twist and turn, this struggle. And I think this is really important to remember. He has to flick that last skin off him. And you know, if that last skin that the, the caterpillar's got there, you saw it, it kind of shrivels up and it looks a bit like a fly, a dead fly, right up the top. I don't know whether you saw that. It was going like this, and that dead thing's there, and then it's gone, yeah? He's getting anchored, and he's shedding his skin at the same time. If that skin is not completely thrown away and shed, and it sticks to the side of the chrysalis, it will be deformed. So there is a process whereby we come to him. And you know what it's called? It's called repentance. I wanted to share a very personal thing that happened with me. That was this. It was a shedding of a skin. And it happened back in 2010. Still got the, the journal diary. And this came at a time that completely transformed me quite quickly, but it started off a process. And I remember it was at a service, Johnny was speaking about blind Bartimaeus, and he said, Bartimaeus screamed out to Jesus. And as soon as he said that, that's me. I, it, honestly, it was. I was in such a place. I wanted truth. And I knew there was stuff in me that was holding me back. And as they came and got him, he threw off his cloak. And he asked the question, what was the cloak? And the cloak was everything of comfort in a place that was never meant to be comfortable. And at that point, I've written in here, what do I have to throw off? And for me, these were some of the things. All fears, doubts, frustration at not being productive, all excuses, all past things that rise up in my mind when I need to do something new. And I screamed out to Jesus and I ran to him at that point. And I threw them off. I named them and I threw them off. That was repentance. And you know, 
what happened. Jesus took hold of me and he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, behold, you are a new creation. All the old things have passed away. The new has come. And I knew in that moment that that skin was off. And that's 2010. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that if that skin has tried to come near me, I don't want a part of it because I was confined. Man, was I confined by that. So when fear rises it up its head and says, you can't do this, whatever, I, I go back to that place. I shed that skin. That is no longer part of me. And I have been given freedom. And this, this is part of the process that when we're shedding things off, we are repenting of them and we're putting them aside. They are not part of us anymore. This is your kingdom come. Not on, on in heaven as it is on earth, which I sometimes wonder where, whether we actually are doing that. Your kingdom come in heaven as it is on earth. Let's just make heaven a bit like earth because that's more comfortable. Uh-uh. It's not freedom. It's way not freedom. That was confinement. I don't want to go back there. I really don't want to go back there. So that actually has become part of my anchor. That experience of repentance and what Christ said to me right there has become part of that experience. It's part of my anchor that holds me at times when the wind's blowing a bit. So what's, what's our response in all this? When we look at the story of the transfiguration, it really struck me. I'm just going to read a little bit of it and we'll see what happens. I want you to have a look at who's doing what. Okay, so six days after this, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and became resplendent with divine brightness. And his garments became glistening, intensely white, as no fuller or cloth dresser on earth could bleach them. And Elijah appeared there to them, accompanied by Moses. And they were holding a protracted conversation with Jesus. It sounds rather like heaven. That's what goes on in heaven all the time. <laughs> and Peter took up the conversation, saying, Master, it is good and suitable and beautiful for us to be here. Let us make three booths or tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not really know what to say, for they were in violent fright, aghast with dread. You know, God turns up and does something spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. And what's the natural human response? We don't understand it. So we need to contain it. We need to make them stay there at that experience. Is God like that? Can God be ex ex contained to appearing to us in one way? I don't think so. That's not on earth as it is in heaven. God can't be contained. As God reveals himself, don't try and define it. Let him define you. You know what I love? Father comes up immediately and he says, this is my beloved son. And you know what he says? Be constantly listening and obeying him. Right. Okay, so there's an alternative to busily doing something. Peter had his own assignment 
He thought it would be a good idea. <laughs> and we look at it and we think, well, that's a bit ridiculous. But like, how many of us do that? You know, God turns up and does something and we confine it into our thinking. We put it in a box. But actually, the way of transformation is the way of walking with the Holy Spirit. And you know what that is? It's summed up. Listen and obey. So Father was telling them, this is a new way. You don't understand what's going on here, but there's a key that will help you. Just listen and obey. Keep listening. Keep obeying. And that's what this journey is about. This intimate relationship where we listen and we obey. We hear his voice and we do what he says. I told you about that experience that I had. (laughs) A week so later, just to show you how I put a tent around something. I came to the Lord and I said, you've done this amazing thing. I'm free. I've been set free of all this. I've taken it all off. What now? And you know what I was expecting? I was expecting a commission. I thought God was going to speak to me about what I was going to do. Because he'd done this amazing thing. So obviously he was going to send me and do something. You know what he said to me? I, I've just blown away. Because I have felt him on me, around me. I've felt him holding my arms as I play. I've felt God in many, many ways. But this is the first time that I ever felt him come in me and his toes went into my toes and his fingers went into my fingers. And I was just standing there. I did not want to move. And he said, you will go where I go. You will see what I see. It wasn't a commission. That was transformation. And it wasn't just instant. Okay, there was a reference point where he spoke to me. But I didn't from that day on only ever see people the way Jesus sees them. That is being worked out. That is his purpose, is for me and you, all of us, to see like he sees, to go where he goes. That's a process. So this commission that I was looking for was my tent. I thought that's, that would be a good thing to happen now. And he blows it away. And I just think that life is so much more exciting without my tents. So every time I have this sense that I'm constraining him because he's, our thinking is different. You know, like that old thing about it was about his will for my life that I was looking at? That was a tent. It, it constrained, actually, the fullness of his purpose. My thinking was actually putting a tent around his kingdom. And this is the process that he does. <laughs> So we need to listen and obey. So the kingdom takes us from doing to listening and obeying. And if that's doing something in you, when I'm saying those words, if there's a but that's coming up in your spirit, please talk to him about it. Because, you see, Peter had his own assignment It's not that God doesn't get us to do anything, but they're his assignments. It's all about who's calling the shots. So just take it to him because sometimes the more doing-oriented people we are, the more we struggle with this because we think, I've got to be doing something. But there is a process that that very thing itself can be containing us and restraining us from coming into the fullness. He will cause you to do. You've got to believe it. 
but it needs to be defined by him. So the next thing is to surrender to the process. And James 1, 2 to 4, Clay used again this morning. We must need to hear it. Consider it holy joy, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring about endurance, steadfastness, and patience. But it's this verse that really popped out. But let endurance, steadfast, and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. It rather reminds me of the skin that had to come off because if we don't do the whole thing, we come out deformed. But he is talking about perfectly and fully developed without defects. Process is often painful and the temptation to abort instead of letting character and the nature of God be formed in us is strong at times. Abort the process. It's too hard. We have choices to make at that point. We have often to trust daily. We have often to trust minute by minute. And what we say, where we turn and where we focus and fix our eyes are the keys for staying in there. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So his eyes were fixed, not on the cross, but on the joy. He talks, they, Paul talks in Hebrews, 12.2, fix your eyes on Jesus, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So there's a choice to fix our eyes on him. We can look down on the problems, but I tell you what, there's no life there. We can turn to other people first, but that probably will kind of go into disappointment. As our first point of call, we turn to him. And this is what he's building in us. He doesn't want a people dependent on my next door neighbor. He wants a people dependent on him. So he will supply all our needs. Psalm 73, if you want to read that sometime, is a great story about this process of disorientation and looking, turning to the right place and the freedom that it brought Trials can now be embraced not with fear, but with faith and trust in his love. So trials are not to be faced with fear. Let me tell you another story. Last year, um, we have a diesel van, our only vehicle, and I was um, playing in the ballet in the evening, teaching during the day, and I whipped into Porirua and filled up a jerry can with um, some petrol for my son to finish the mowing of the lawns and filled up the van and then drove back to Tawa and then taught and then took off ready to play in the ballet. And the van wasn't sounding so very good. As I was going along, I thought, oh, man, what's going on? It <laughs> you know, really wasn't, wasn't sounding so good. I get to the, the road tunnel, and I'm busy praying, God, please sort this one out. I go through the road tunnel, and there's traffic, unfortunately, at the lights, so I have to stop, and the thing won't start again. It sort of kind of starts, but it, it goes like 8Ks. And I sort of test this out. You know, maybe it's something to do. It's accelerating, zoom, like this, and black smoke comes out the back. Oh, my goodness. So I sort of crawled along to get out of the path of everybody just to the little turnaround to get onto Willis Street and I got out because I thought this sounds this looks like a fuel problem (laughs) 
grabbed my violin and went onto the grass and <laughs> rang up the the um, the guy from the orchestra and said, "I'm I'm in problems. I'm not going to be there for the beginning of the performance." And um, and then this irate bus driver comes up behind me and I'm in the way. So he's a, he tries to um, push me out. So I have to go and park the van. And in the process, I'm thinking. There's this thing that comes at me, this voice that says, you've really done it now. Because I started to realize, I wonder if in the busyness of everything, I put petrol in our diesel van. And if anyone knows anything about auto mechanics, that's a major no-no. Not the same the other way, you can survive that, but this is a death sentence. And this was there, fear was right there. But in me was heaven's perspective. And I thought, it then is nothing to God. So I just kept on praying, God, be glorified in this somehow. Be glorified in this. And this is what was coming out of my mouth. And cut a long story short, yes, I had put the wrong thing in. And I, um, <laughs> everything sort of um, finally got the van towed back to our house. And the next morning I got it towed up to our um uh, diesel mechanic but you know that night when I got home from the ballet I just was praying again saying God be glorified you know either provide us with another vehicle or whatever and you know he dropped a scripture in my head and it's Mark it's Mark 16 and there'll be those of you who say oh it's not really in the Bible well Holy Spirit told me and it was you will drink poison it will do you no harm and so I said, God, can you make that petrol-like poison that will do no harm, please? Anyway, I took it, it got towed in. I got a ring at 11 o'clock that morning. Van's all good to go. Miracle. Total miracle. We call it Lazarus now. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Christmas before, just before Christmas, 10 days before Christmas, it had been stolen from right outside our kitchen. And all the, like, it's a high-ace, Toyota high-ace, super custom, evidently really into being stolen for parts, you know? And the police were saying, you won't see it again. And it took ages and ages. And I was praying, God, we need our van. You know, it's got a tow bar, and it's vital for our holiday. And we haven't got any other vehicle. <laughs> we need it, Lord. And just about given up. And we get a knock on the door, and... There's a policeman saying, we've just found your van in Wainui Amata. And the only thing missing was the battery. That was their security system. Obviously, take the battery out and no one could nick it from their place. <laughs> so we, we um, you know, had to replace the ignition barrel. But stuff was in there. Like I bought a present for, for Chris for Christmas. It was still in there. But actually, one thing they had stolen was this um, flash drive with Martin Steele's whole collection of sermons yes so of course it's like so but you see the kingdom is so on a different realm so on a different realm very cool huh. right so what is the result everything changes sight changes so from a we're going to get there from a caterpillar to a, to a butterfly, we go from this feeling thing to compound eyes that have got thousands of lenses in them. We go from earthly sight, seeing in the natural, seeing what we see right there, seeing the van and the enormity of the problem, to suddenly seeing heaven's perspective that just totally over, over, supersedes and overwhelms that. This is the transformation. Juvenile to adult. Containment to mobility and limitlessness. The monarch actually, some generations of the monarch actually migrate thousands of miles, absolutely thousands of miles. They're doing research on them to do with navigation. Their purpose changes 
He was all about eating, and the butterfly's all about reproducing. Neat, eh? For us, I think one of the biggest things that changes is our focus. And that's part of the whole thing. And can I say at this point that this is not an, um, an allegory as in, you know, we go through this shedding, 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 and then we go through pupa and then we're a butterfly. You know, all of these processes can be happening in us at the same time. And so don't get locked into that. Prophetically, God's trying to encourage you for sight of the future and also to understand the process so that you can cooperate with him. That's what this is about. Um, when we look at the Second Corinthians 13, 3 to um, 3.19, it says you're constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. See his glory rising. Butterflies are solo-powered. They are actually, there's new studies even last year that they're studying the butterfly wing to get much more efficient solar energy because their cells are like shingles on top of each other and they're placed in such a way that they get twice as much because they can go to a second layer. God's, God has spoken to me in worship about this. I didn't know specifically butterflies are solar-powered, but I was aware that many insects are because I know that I have trouble hitting a fly on a sunny day, but not so much on a really cold day. Yeah. But in worship, what it's done is that there have been quite a number of times, and I'd just like to encourage you in this, those of you who struggle to, to feel like you... You touch him, that you you engage with him. He has told me to come to him like a butterfly and just open my wings. That really takes the struggle out of it. So you open up and you know he's your source and you soak his love. You surrender everything and... He does a filling because it's perfect love. It's his love that is working in us to cause us to become like him. No other thing. And because it says in First, First John 4 that perfect love drives out all fear. Only perfect love does that. Only when we can trust him totally and be totally abandoned with him is all that stuff like fear and things it's just taken away the very last thing I want to tell you and show you is something I only discovered yesterday morning (laughs) and oh man when I saw this I was over the moon there is, we're not going monarch now. We're going to a, an amazing butterfly called the blue morph butterfly. And this is a diagram of this particular butterfly's wing. And you know the thing about this one is it's iridescent. It's a really big one in the Amazon. And man, when you see this, it's like, wow! It has such brilliant color. And when I saw this, I thought, what, what is it about this, you know? And he's shown me something, but I want to show you just that clip if you can. Can you get that one up? This is just a very quick one that goes over it to show you how the light, when it changes, brings us iridescence. Isn't that brilliant? Absolutely beautiful. This blue morph, its wings are colorless and translucent. It has no pigment. It has no pigment of its own. 
The membrane is covered with a layer of flattened cells which look like dust to the naked eye. It's, it's caused, this iridescence is caused by multiple slit interference, is its technical name. And it's because sunlight contains a full range of light wavelengths. And interference occurs when light hitting the wing interacts with light reflected off the ring, wing. So they have, these blue butterflies, have slits on their scales exactly half the distance of a blue wavelength. That is why their wings catch and interfere and intensify the blue part of that wavelength. So if you look at that diagram, see those little ridges in the middle bit? They run exactly, and I can't give you the dimensions because I don't know the terms scientifically, but whatever a blue light wave is, and it's got its troughs and its, okay, so they need it exactly half, and it's lined up perfectly, 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 absolutely the whole way, ready so that any light that comes to it, it will just pick up the blue wavelengths and it bounces them off and intensifies it. It has no glory of its own. As you saw in that video, when the blue wasn't when the, when the light wasn't on the part of the butterfly, it was like this dull brown. Isn't that amazing? It's just the same as when we see a dew drop and the sun isn't shining on it. It's just a drop. But when the sun comes on it, the iridescence, the glory is magnificent. And so I realized yesterday that this is part of his plan for us. You see... He wants to align us, get us exactly accurate. He wants to reconfigure our thinking, our motivations, our desires, our priorities, our words, our actions, our very essence of being. And he does it so that we will reflect and intensify that very light of his sun. Isn't that amazing? So his love and all the ways of the kingdom and his will are come to earth in us as it is in heaven. I think it's very cool to be able to see what it is. It's not a glory of our own. It's totally to do with reflecting him. But it's being aligned. He needs to design us and configure us through all these processes so that when, when his love is coming, it's reflected and intensified out of us. I don't know that I know of any person, I don't think the hardened, most hardened criminal, anyone with the hardest heart wouldn't turn and look at that butterfly. And yet we're going to be, and we are, Reflecting him. What a brilliance that is. So this is what that he is forming in us. So we've just got to cooperate with him. Let's listen, let's obey, let's run after him. Let's repent, let's shed the skins. Let's anchor in, hold fast. Let's encourage each other and see that this is all good. There's none of this that is bad. It's all about freedom. It's all about coming into everything that he wants and he designed us to be in the first place. It's actually all about, you know, getting the van running on diesel instead of trying to fill it up with milk or petrol like I did and expecting it to work. It doesn't. So I hope that has, has triggered something. But let's just not let it trigger something. Can we, can we do this? Can we run together? And maybe even tonight we can have a time where we just can 
can come before him, whatever it is that's spoken to you. I, I know God told me that there were going to be things that would release an activation for you. They're there for you for the taking. And if it's fear that's holding you back, he's, he's calling you with love. And he's saying, what I've got for you is far greater than anything that you think is holding you back. And let's enter in and let's encourage each other tonight. Yeah.